Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is John Tomey. John's the founder of Urban Tech News. I was on John's podcast about six months ago, and uh, it was really fun, and he was nice enough to, to return the favor and join us. So, John, thanks for coming on. Hey, Bradley. Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of Firewall Podcast, and appreciate you having me on. Yeah, sure. Same, same here. So tell me what Urban Tech means to you, because it's sort of one of those Rorschach test things where it's very much, in my experience, the eye of the beholder. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think now that I've been working and writing on it for like a year or so now, I have like a better conceptualization of it. And I think now that I've moved more to trying to build a company around it, it's helped me understand it better. Because I think my experience was before I started Urban Tech was working in media and consulting and politics in New York um, for startups and kind of elected officials at this kind of intersection. So really doing a lot of the press and media work to get coverage on stories. So I think I found pretty early and like I love this space of this intersection of cities and tech and like I was incredibly passionate about it, but I found kind of my time after working kind of behind the scenes doing the PR side that a lot of it was just really great marketing. And I was, you know, I think complicit in a little bit of that really great marketing and like the tech visionary stuff is all incredible. And so on my way back to grad school, I decided I was going to kind of start writing and kind of covering the space because after sending around media hits and things to clients, I kind of figured maybe I'm reading more about the space than like most people. Uh, So maybe I'll try my hand writing. I was going back to grad school at USC. And so I was looking at a way to kind of bridge the gap between kind of this excitement of the tech side, which is, I guess, the tech piece of the title, urban tech, and then kind of this hesitation that I think urbanism and is kind of unique to urban policy, because I think tech is very visionary right now. And when you come into cities and communities and you're pitching very visionary stuff, there's a natural skepticism, I think, to trust that. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. You've worked it in urban policy and politics. And I think there's a lot to learn from kind of thinking about economic development more traditionally and what that means as startups are trying to look at cities as this new frontier of urban problems to solve. I think that's right. So so given that you've been thinking about this stuff for a while now, and, and maybe this is too basic of a question, but it's something that I think about a lot, um, to you, what is the appropriate role of city government? Because I think th- different people have different visions for it. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's something that I think about a lot. And like, I don't know, I worked in city politics um, and for more of a progressive mayor um, right out of college and working towards that. And who did you work for? Um, I think my first job at college was working on Bill de Blasio's reelection campaign and kind of doing oh, some of that yeah. work. Yeah. So doing some of like... There- yeah, so doing some- this is a good example because he he has said publicly that the goal of city uh, the point of city government is to reduce inequality. I would argue that's less so, but it's interesting to think about it, right? So, do, do you agree with him that government should do that, or is it more of an operational job and a platform and a canvas to then let people come here and do things? Yeah, I would say I would agree with that point pretty wholeheartedly because I think that's where city leaders and I think the space that I see it's really getting tied into knots right now it's like this national political discussion and maybe I'm like 
very apt to it because I grew up in the time of the Obama years and came of age then in college when Trump was elected my junior year of college and like the hyper politicalization of America has basically gone from top to bottom and local leaders who are a lot of times I think looking for their next positions are always trying to tap into it. So yeah, I would agree. And I would go back to one of my favorite lessons when I was in school and kind of starting to cut my teeth and learning about politics. I was a student at Syracuse and uh, former Mayor Michael Nutter came and presented at the Maxwell School at Syracuse and talked about how really no one cares if you're for income equality and like the national issues. If you're not picking up the trash and you're not paying attention to those operational things, no one's going to vote for you or really, I think, do what you need to think. So I think mayors need to have that. They have to have their hand on the pulse of politics, but they also need to think through the operational things. And I think as tech startups are realizing that they can kind of play the political game and they don't have to be tied to one city or location. They're apt to going and shopping for what cities and policies benefit their business models. So who are the mayors these days that you feel like kind of share that view of city government and are doing a good job with it? Yeah. You know, I think that's a hard question. So I think mayors and I'm going to take like a former mayor. And so I think there's two former mayors who I look at and I think of done a really good job. And I know one's your former boss, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, and I think did a really good job of transcending politics. And I think able to was able to be the independent in a city, which is often a hard thing to do as a local leader. But I think former mayor of South Bend, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, right, was able to, I think, drive innovation policy forward with South Bend. I know he did a lot of early work with micromobility. And now as a mayor leading the Department of Transportation, I think, has a unique experience because a lot of times people leading cabinet positions aren't typically, you know, a lot of times cabinet positions are political patronage jobs and are handed out to people. But I think he's uniquely qualified to work with cities, especially at a time when, like, this Biden infrastructure bill is a huge focus and reinvestment in infrastructure is a massive priority for not only cities, dates, but pretty much culturally, it seems like we know that we need this. And like we've been talking about it for now two administrations and it just hasn't gotten done. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll name four specific mayors and you tell me whether or not you think on, on kind of urban tech, they get it. Um, your old boss, Bill de Blasio. Yeah. So I would not describe him as my former boss, to be fair. Um, I worked as the outside campaign. So let me uh, be clear. I was not a part of the de Blasio administration. Um, but you know, I think he's run into a little bit of the challenges of he was elected as a change candidate and now he's faced a set of issues. And obviously, I think the Uber and the timing of the politics, which I know you're certainly experienced on that, but he lost that battle and City Hall lost that battle. So, you know, I would give a D on, you know, him so far um, and his time and his record as it shows. All right. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. Yeah, so Chicago is interesting. It's actually a city I don't know as much about. My cousin's actually in the process of moving there, so I'm hoping I will get to know a little bit more about Chicago. But I actually think Chicago has been weirdly pretty progressive, I would say, and I'm not 100% sure how much has been connected under former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration and how much that connects to Lori Lightfoot, just because I'm not as well-versed there. 
But I would say at least the conversations in Chicago, at least as an outside observer, seem to be much more productive. I don't know. And maybe I'm just like in the world of New York politics as someone who, as an outside observer who formerly worked in New York politics and public affairs. But I think it's a little difficult to know and make a judgment on that without having been versed in that landscape. Right. How about uh, outgoing L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti? Yeah. So I actually think this is an area where he would actually mark really high. And obviously, I think he has a whole host of political issues that he's dealing with and policy issues um, that probably a lot of his detractors would say he wasn't as successful. But I think if you look at where L.A. is going as a transportation hub, it's like the Olympics, which I think certainly L.A. copied a little bit off of New York's plan and kind of Dan Dr. Ross movement to get the Olympics. But that was a massive catalyst for kind of the public transportation that we need here in L.A. And I'm a resident of L.A. So I'm and I don't have a car. So I'm pretty biased towards that. So I would give him actually a B plus. Um, and, you know, I think DOT under him has done a lot of progressive quote unquote things of working yeah. with technology and also trying to rein it in. And, you know, I think that's hard sometimes. Yeah. Who, who will replace him? And, and what are your thoughts for how LA is going to be under a new mayor? You know, that's, I'm paying a lot of attention to that right now. Cause I think that's the question in LA. It's like, is it going to be a status quo person from the council? Is it going to be, you know, I think the special election, it would be like someone appointed to his term, but I think it's gonna be someone in the Garcetti mold, probably, um, if I had to guess, and I'm still trying to learn this landscape of Southern California politics. It's almost as confusing and wide swathing as New York politics. Um, yeah. and I'm not a resident. So I think it's probably going to be someone in that mold of like a player within the establishment who's able to probably run a campaign or prove their progressive credentials enough to the local kind of advocacy groups and kind of have those bona fides. And then that person will run a reelection campaign when Garcetti's full term is up. Um, so I don't know. I think that's, I will uh, punt that one. All right. Well then give us, give, give the listeners one name to watch in LA politics now that that power is going to open up there. Yeah. I'm trying to think what um, I think the head of L.A. D.O.T. Um, I am blanking on her name right now. Oh, Selena mm-hmm. Reynolds, right? Yeah, Selena Reynolds. Yeah, I think she's, you know, I think she's a progressive person who's in a pretty powerful position in L.A. actually policy wise. And I don't know if she has any interest in actually running for office, but I feel like Selena Reynolds is someone who when I even when I talk to people at in my classes and in the public policy school, and then also people in the tech community, they know what Selena Reynolds is doing. And really, I think that's a hard uh, thing to do is if you're a policy person and people know what you're doing, people typically uh, yeah, have a totally. good career. Yeah. I, look, I did a, a panel with her here in New York a year or two ago, I guess two because of COVID. And uh, she was really dynamic. So, you know, in terms of a, a policy person, I think she she at least has some of those skills. All right. Last mayor. And then I'm going to pivot a little bit. But uh, London Breed in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, London Breed's a really interesting one. And like, I feel like now I've like watched her administration and like the political stuff because I was working in New York politics and was paying a lot of attention when she rose to the mayorship. San Francisco is a hard locality, I think, 
to like think through because it's so crisscross. But I would actually say London Breed in terms of like what she has had to go with. And I feel like a lot of San Francisco's issues are more at the board of supervisor level than really the mayoral level. And, you know, yep. maybe you can challenge that London Marine hasn't done enough to build coalitions on that. But I actually think she's done a relatively good job to progress it forward. And a lot of the criticisms I see um, from the tech community in San Francisco, it seems to be aimed at council or board of supervisors, which in San Francisco serves the county legislature and the city, which is a complicated uh, political landscape, I think, to navigate for the whole city. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give you a, a thesis and then tell me if, if you agree or disagree and what you think it means for urban tech. So a decade ago, when we did Uber, uh, on one hand, it was easier because cities were in no way familiar with startups, prepared for startups, and the notion of a startup doing politics effectively was so foreign to them that we caught basically everybody by surprise, um, even though we did it dozens and dozens of times that so someone should have noticed at some point. Um, and we're basically able to overwhelm the taxi industry and city government pretty much everywhere in the U.S., legalize Uber. But we did it in a very, very aggressive, uh, beg for forgiveness, not ask for permission way. Since then, the good news and bad news is um, local governments have gotten a lot smarter about tech. So on one hand, um, it's harder to just absolutely knock them over because they're far more prepared for uh, a big fight. They get that if they just ignore you completely, it's at their own peril. Um, so that's that's the, the bad side. It's harder to win. On the plus side, though, they're much more open to tech in the first place because they they understand that it's not just they can't just by fiat decree what's allowed and what's not allowed. And they've got to work with what consumers want and, and what companies are, are creating and everything else. And so they're they're more flexible. They're more innovative. Um, in some ways, they're easier to work with. Um, and even if they still resent it, um, they get that they have to deal with urban tech. Um, and therefore, it's a more collaborative process. Um, that's been my experience. And I think especially if you compare Uber to Bird, um, that really encapsulated it to me. Whereas with Uber, like I said, we kind of bulldozed everyone with Bird. We definitely entered markets without asking for permission if electric scooters were legal in that market. But where it wasn't legal in New York, Chicago, we took the time and passed laws and went through RFP processes and everything else. Um, and, and it's been a less confrontational process all in all uh, with local regulators. So um, that's my view of the evolution over the past decade or so. How, how do you see it? Yeah, no, and I think it's a really interesting point. And I think I think a lot about my writing and kind of the Uber days was like the trend setting. And then, you know, I recently was rereading some parts of your book and kind of how you articulated the Uber strategy. And I think that's right. I think tech has become for economic development, drawing big tech companies. It's like this new big shiny object of winning a startup that mayors can point to or legislators can point to as we attracted this company we attracted because they can basically show how much value economic that they generated to go run for their next election or to prove to their voters that they're working for them which is always an uphill battle that you're facing and so yeah i agree i mean i think as a startup and thinking through it like if you're getting cease and desist letters and like you have government's telling you you can't operate and you're feeling that tension of your business is about to be shut down. I think that's a really scary proposition. And I actually think really 
maybe it's now about to swing the other way where now startups and government are going to not bash heads because of Uber, because we're going to have a lot of better conversations. And I think that's something and why I started Urban Tech. It's like creating incredible content, covering the space in a thoughtful and analytical way is I think what it needs. And I think we need better conversations. We need better stories. And that's what I'm hoping to kind of build with Urban Tech and, you know, why I started it. And I don't know, I'm an optimistic guy. So maybe I'm too optimistic for my own good, but I actually don't think... You're in the right industry for an optimist. Yeah, you know, media is typically, I think that's the one thing I'm a little scared for. I think, you know, having to be a little bit of a reporter and like do all of that, uh, it's it's an easy way to uh, cry your optimism with your uh you have to put your skeptical media is very very good at that but you know hopefully by being on the tech side of it you can you can maintain it Uh, but but on the pessimistic side look let me give you a concern for cities that i have um which is it's it's the normal what happens if everyone can work from home and what does that mean but but let me elaborate a little more on it which is if you had a combination of change social norms around working from home because of covid and it's not that everyone now is going to be fully deployed in uh, in their homes and not in offices, but let's just say it becomes much more fluid, right? Like we're not going to make people come back for any specific amount of time. They'll just come to the office when they need to be here and they can work from home if that's better for them. Combine that, which means people who live in the suburbs, at least some of the time won't be, won't be commuting into the city um, with fully autonomous vehicles. So there's no more traffic, right? All cars are moving at 80 miles an hour in perfect synchronicity, Um, which means you can work anywhere and live anywhere and it's completely feasible. If you combine those change norms with the change technology, do people still choose to live in cities or do they say, hey, for the same $5,000 a month, I can have a mortgage on a 3,000 square foot home instead of a 800 square foot studio in New York, or you can adjust the prices, however, for other cities. And therefore, um, now that I can get anywhere where I need to be in, in very little time, uh, I might as well have more space. How do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's a dynamic that I'm actually very focused on for kind of, I think, looking forward for like this next decade. Because I think transportation over the last 10 years, largely because of Uber and kind of creating the market of transportation tech almost on the consumer side. Um, I think really where I see it over the next 10 years, it's right. It's like housing is this crisis that America's facing and like urban centers are facing it incredibly hard. But also I think there's a lot of great research showing that like middle America has a lack of housing and there's a lack of affordable housing. And so I think what I'm looking at, because yes, I think ultimately like the zoning laws and like the local laws, and maybe I'm more inclined here because like I've just paid attention to the California zoning battles to get more density for like the last five years. And like, it's very frustrating to see it. And I live in downtown LA. So it's like this fight against density and more housing that California needs to continue to remain competitive just isn't happening. So I think where the tension that I'm worried about as like transportation continues to go. And I think, you know, the U.S. doesn't have a lack of space to build. It almost has a lack of will to build. And that's really where I think as people look to get out of cities, it's like, are there going to be affordable places for them to live? And there's a lot of interesting startups working on this problem and I think working on housing. But as you've seen, like it's a really hard and complex problem to fix, like Catara 
which was a very heavily capitalized SoftBank company, just went up like last week. And, you know, I, it's going to take a long time to fix the housing problem. And I don't know if tech is the only one that can fix it, which is one of the hard things I think for this industry to understand that like as optimistic as you want to be, you have to sometimes get help and your silver bullet sometimes isn't... Uh, what everyone wants to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to throw out a few different kind of urban tech, you know, ideas that are almost in some ways dreams. And you tell me within how many years this is a reality. So uh, delivery, and these are all within cities, yeah. uh, which makes it harder. Um, delivery drones. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think drones, it's like now it's, they're so associated in the word drones with like military security. And it's like a terrifying proposition to like a normal voter and stuff. But I think we're going to see it probably within five years. If I had to like guess and like, you know, there's pilot programs and a bunch of startups like working on it, but it seems like I don't know. Within a couple of years, Amazon will have the political will and be able to like push through something where a startup will get one city that allows it. Like I'm even seeing in LA. Do you think it's kind of a, a city like in LA where it's a lot less dense in a lot of neighborhoods, or do you think it's a Chicago or a New York or something? It's it's definitely going to, I think, be a place like LA because I think if you look at regulation and policy governing the air, and I was talking to a good friend of mine, a mentor who's an expert on this, his name's Travis Mason, and like air policies and regulation, if you think about autonomy, is just like a much easier proposition than ground autonomy yeah. and testing. So you can just do the testing you need to get the data. And I think at some point there will be some mayor or city council who's bold enough or looking to push that through, right? And I think... Yeah. Where you run into it, it's like who's controlling the FAA and like the federal regulation that comes right. into also right. controlling that. That's what you, I, 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 exactly, because I, I thought about this a little bit too. You need a partnership between the FAA and a city. And I think, as you mentioned, Buttigieg is, is someone who could be really progressive on urban tech issues uh, and he oversees the FAA. So, you know, I could imagine, even though it, it'd be bipartisan, like Mayor Suarez in Miami partnering with with mayor pete um to pilot something like that and, and you can avoid dealing with tallahassee or sacramento or albany or whatever it is because it's really a mix of very very local ordinances and federal yeah no that's a great point and i think that's exactly where you could see something like that a progressive either a progressive mayor who's a republican looking for drawing the business interest and then also someone at the federal level so yeah i think you're right on that what about autonomous trucks so I go back and forth a lot on this and like autonomous trucks is one that there's a lot of excitement. And I think I've seen a lot of interesting policy suggestions on like autonomous trucking lanes. And I think the political will of like also it has a big labor issue, I think, unfortunately, like freight and autonomy. I actually think autonomous shipping is a much easier like thing. And maybe I'm like apt to that because my father is a merchant marine and is a ship captain. And I hear a lot about the autonomous shipping and freight stuff of like oceans yeah. and like testing there. Yeah. So I actually think that's really a much more palatable thing to everyday consumers. And also it's in the ocean and, you know, there's more global kind of international water policy stuff. Yeah. There's but... that cool, I think it's an Israeli sort of windward. Have you ever heard of them? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, they can track where every ship in the world is at any given moment. I thought that was super cool when I, when I met them. 
Yeah, yeah. Freight Waves is another super interesting like logistics tech company. And so that's actually, I think, I don't know. I think autonomous trucking is a really hard because I don't know if anyone who is liberally minded is going to really, unless you're really progressive tech, I think that's the labor issue makes it almost untenable for people at the federal level. So I don't know. I think it, it, it's more of a state issue. Yeah, it's interesting. So I feel like on, on autonomous trucking, I feel like the political issues in this case may be easier to solve than the technical issues, um, simply because there is such a massive shortage of truck drivers already that, and there's still going to be a need for truck drivers to load and unload and, and perform other functions that I think at least for the first phase of it, you're not really replacing jobs. You're just sort of um, taking things that right now aren't getting done because there aren't enough truckers and, and putting those on the road and giving people who are on the road probably more breaks uh, during their trip and all of that. I, I think you can kind of work it out on the labor side if the Teamsters were willing to negotiate. Whether, you know, like I think I live on 19th Street in Manhattan and our, our block is always backed up with traffic. And like the idea of a, a really big autonomous truck making a hairpin turn and then being able to stop because there's a garbage truck backed up in the middle of it and not block the rest of the lane or whatever it is. To me, that seems harder, you know. Um, whereas on a highway, you can drive 500 miles straight on I-10 in the same lane, you know, autonomous, no big deal, right? They can do that now. Even. No, I think that's a great point. And that's something I was thinking about. And I used to work with a autonomous logistics firm that was building robots for warehouses and like helping on kind of that oh, yeah. front. Cause there's also like a huge shortage of labor and warehouses and logistics and like, yeah. I don't know. There's this mismatch of like the politics of it all that I think actually you pointed out there that actually covers and goes towards freight in this other way. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good call out. And I, I don't know. I, 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 the technology feels like it's already here um, to do it. I don't know, at least, and maybe I've just like read too much science fiction and like startup <laughs> stuff at this point, but it seems like there's like a way and I've seen, I think in Georgia proposals for like just a whole lane and like, I don't know, it seems like it's a way to reuse infrastructure that's already built, which is like the best way to get infrastructure yeah. stuff done. Totally agree. And I, I, my hope is that any infrastructure bill thinks about the future of technology and infrastructure. and doesn't just say, here's how much for bridges and roads and all the other usual, you know, uh, pork. Uh, what about autonomous taxis? You think, you think that comes faster? Autonomous taxis? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I wrote an article on Waymo and I think autonomous taxis are happening in like these f different markets in different ways. And it's like the testing and piloting. So like they're already here. And so like, what does it mean for like autonomous tax? Is it like New York will actually have it or will there be like a full... So I don't know. I'm almost like they're here. Um, they're happening. Like you can do them at trade shows and like taxis is also like a very niche urban thing that like most Americans don't really interact with on a day to day basis anymore. Um, and I love living in New York and taking a yellow cab. But like, I I don't know, maybe it's I think it's like a decades thing, probably before it's like really rolled out in someone. It's also an uncontrollable market, I think. I don't know. I think that's like what I find with the space so fascinating. It's like the digit the digitization of physical assets. They're all basically like unwinnable markets completely. It's like there's going to be multiple players in them. Just like real estate's not a winner take all market. It's like it's well, too, there's it's a lot of real big. estate players. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Great. 
Yeah. So, all right. So last question, you know, I, I threw out a few things that, that interest me, but what are the three or four or five kind of biggest trends in urban tech that, that you're excited about right now and that our listeners should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. So I think this is one that I know you're really focused on, but I think UBI is like yes. a policy innovation that I would call like kind of in the breath of this urban tech. And I think a lot of people who are interested in this urban tech space are really taken by UBI because I think it solves a lot of the problems of administration and it's politically like palatable to both sides in a lot of ways. So that's one area that I would say, I think. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, just to add, obviously we're, we're running Andrew Yang's campaign for mayor of New York. One of the best things that will happen from this campaign, whether we win or not, is that all of the other candidates adopted their own UBI plans to compete with our plan. Um, now, if Yang wins, it will happen for sure. I don't know that it will happen for sure with any of the other potential candidates. But um, the odds of it happening now in New York City, because, simply because of Yang's presence, are a lot greater, especially because after his work in the presidential, help help create a version of UBI and all the different different you know COVID recovery and stimulus plans. So um, I do think, just like when New York banned smoking, that that launched a national and ultimately global trend. Um, you, you could see the same thing here with UBI. Yeah, no, and that's a great point because I think this is something, and like maybe this is like almost like a book and like good way, but I think New York sets a lot of the urban agenda, especially not only for American cities, but global cities. And like, I know it's a crazy thing that like a New Yorkers like think of New York as the center of the world. And I live there and it certainly is, I think the center almost of American urbanism and policies. But I think it's certainly like, and I'm apt now because like I'm seeing LA do all this amazing transportation stuff and all these other cities now pushing it. And it's like this, breaking down and fragmentation of urban tech is now not just happening in New York and San Francisco. It's happening in cities like Austin. It's happening in cities like LA. It's happening in cities like Madison, Wisconsin. So that's like why I started urban tech and why like I've decided to, you know, I'm putting my education on pause and like I'm pushing forward to like build a niche media company about it because they think people who aren't just interested in policy and politics are heavily interested in how tech is changing cities. And I want to build kind of the niche media site for those people. Totally agree. Before we sign off and you tell people how to, how to subscribe, give me two or three more ideas you're excited about. I'm really been in the weeds of like logistics tech lately. So I think if I think track, we don't realize like the scale of logistics and how massive the shipping of goods. And I think during COVID over this last year, right, e-commerce has this re, this fire lit under it. There's a bunch of startups that are doing the D2C stuff. And I think there's this whole world of startups that are helping these companies manage their operations. And if you're cutting percentages off of the scale of a lot of D2C and e-commerce companies, there's massive market opportunities. And also, I think those companies are really important for cutting down on transportation congestion, because if you have better logistics, better planning and operations on how you can efficiently get goods to consumers, it hopefully doesn't clog up your streets. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And, and we, we could desperately use that. So, all right. Well, if you want to learn uh, about these and more, how do people find you? Yeah. So my name is John Tomey, and then I'm the founder of Urban Tech News. It's on urbantechnews.net. You can subscribe to our free newsletter or pay to join our premium. We're going to be doing more events and more content over the coming weeks and months. And yeah, thank you, Bradley, for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for joining us.